1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I am your host, Joe Quazala, and here's the deal. I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, just absolutely too much, more than any one person should. With me, as always, is someone who knows more about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame than she would like to, the skeptic, the voice of the people, Kristen Studdard. Hi, how's it going, Kristen?
0: Hi, Joe. It's going okay. You know, you said more than any one person should, and I think you might actually know more than any one person does you might be be the rock and roll hall of fame expert of the current living rock and roll hall of fame expert.
1: It's possible. It's (laughs) our guest is virtually (laughs) bowing down.
0: I I was never going to mention that,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, listen, uh, there's a lot of people online who might come for that claim, but listen, I'll take it.
0: You're in the top 10 at the very least. Top five, Thank you. almost for top sure. Top five,
1: you're probably top 20 uh, oh, yeah, yeah, at yeah. least. But yeah, I mean, we are in the thick of it. This is an exciting time. Nominations have just been announced. We are jumping into artist-focused episodes, which we haven't done in what feels like a year, You know, since we were looking at the last year's ballot. So this is cool and good. Back to the old bread and butter of the show. And let me bring in our guest, Very excited to have him back with us. He is a music writer, culture writer. He uh, has written a book about Luther Vandross, and he covered LaBelle on his last appearance, a favorite episode of ours. Happy to have him back, Craig Seymour. Hey, Craig.
2: Hey, I'm
3: so, so, so happy to be back. Um, I had so much fun last time, and um, I'm just really like so thrilled that you both asked me back. This is really an honor. So thank you very much.
0: We're so happy to have you back. And also just two artists that I've actually probably gotten way more into since you last were on the show. I would say Luther Vandross and LaBelle, particularly Miss Patty herself. I would say I've gotten into both of those artists much more in the past like six months than I ever was before. And wow. you know, the algorithm has just really been serving me a lot of R&B and soul, and I'm not mad about it.
3: <laughs> and I wasn't <laughs> even on the show to talk about this thing. So I, I guess, <laughs> well, no, LaBelle, I was. LaBelle.
1: LaBelle, certainly. Well, Craig. The nominations are out. I'm curious if this- Oh my
0: gosh, sorry. I just remembered, yeah, we're doing an episode, like an old school episode. The mm-hmm, nominations mm-hmm, are out. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do it just like we used to. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. So that's that's exciting. I mean, we haven't talked to you in a year, so we, we've we had uh, an induction ceremony and like a whole, you know, the, the rest of that season has concluded. Now, here we are born anew in the 2022 Rock Hall season. I'm curious. Do you have any thoughts or or feelings on what has happened in the past year and what has happened recently?
3: Oh, good Lord. Well, I will say that, of course, you asked me what my picks would be. And, you know, I really, there's always that kind of thing where you wonder, like, is this person going to be alive long enough that they can wait a couple of years? (laughs) It's really morbid, but that really does play part of the calculation. Yeah. But I think because we've lost so many people and just because of the pandemic, we're just almost in an age of grief, you know, it's just yeah. like our, our entire context. When I made my picks this time, I was thinking, well, gee, I think it should go toward people that are living so they can actually show up and actually get, you know, mm-hmm. what you get, get flowers. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. and people that are deceased, um, they can, you know, wait. <laughs> so sure. I, and, you know, that just really changed my calculation. Yeah, you know? I think
1: that's perfectly reasonable. And what we've seen with the Rock Hall has done just in the past year, you know, the, some of these side categories they're utilizing to honor the people who are no longer with us. And, you know, using the kind of more traditional performer slots and, you know, where people can perform at the ceremony using that, And having that be with the people who can be there.
3: Right. Typically. So I just mean that to say that influenced my choice a lot. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Probably too much time.
1: Right. Yeah. So the, the question is, if you had a ballot, which I think you should have a ballot, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's
3: so nice. Let's call it <laughs> Questlove. Maybe Questlove. Yeah. Now.
1: Let's get Questlove on the horn. But yeah, if you had a ballot and you could pick up to five and you don't have to pick five.
3: No, I have five. Okay. I won't buy five. Don't take away my. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: won't, I won't take away any slots. Oh, yeah, but okay. you can
3: only do up to five okay. looking at this slate who would you pick Eurythmics of course mm-hmm. um and then Tribe Called Quest mm-hmm. um because of their legendary influence because of the way they influenced Jay Dilla who so many um other artists and just even the way that um Dan Charnas has this great book about Dilla out now and it just talk about how Dilla changed the way that pop music deals with rhythm and the timing of rhythm and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's like a direct line to Tribe Called Quest. So they even have like influence beyond that. So anyway, Tribe Called Quest plus Q-Tip and um, Ali are still um, with us. So that would be mm-hmm. really nice to <laughs> see. Then the New York Dolls. I just think you can't not have the New York Dolls if they're on the ballot. Have they been mm-hmm. on before? Or? They, were on they were on last, last year. year. Their
1: first appearance on a ballot was 2001. So it'd been a 20 year gap, which is crazy.
3: Yeah, just get it out of the way. You know, <laughs> it's just like, they're obviously- Should be, are going to be in,
2: so. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's an artist where, I mean, David Johansson is still with us, but the rest of the guys are not. You know, and Sil Sylvain passed away not long before last year's ballot. And I think that may have had something to do with the urgency to, at the very least, let's get David Johansson in while he can still appreciate it. And who knows if he would appreciate it. I don't know, he's he might be completely, the way a lot of older rock guys who have not been acknowledged, they kind of move on and you don't give a shit anymore. guess you have to. Also, when you have someone who is punk as fuck, not being (laughs) inducted in the rock hall isn't always... Who cares? But I,
3: I would like to think that David's heart
1: would grow three sizes.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I hope, my, I think a healthy attitude for artists have towards Rockwell is kind of like, you know, that they hope that they'll be in it. Maybe somebody tells them, but I hate to think that there's any artist like sitting there like refreshing. Like, you know? <laughs> oh, gosh. That would be very, no, yeah. I, I, I I just, hope that would not. make me very sad. So mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't want to think of David Johansson as like constantly refreshing his browser. <laughs> Yeah, and I
1: think I charity. would, <laughs> I would guess that he's not, but you know, who knows.
3: And then I would say Dolly Parton, just because she's Dolly Parton. I not mm-hmm. think, you know, she's another person that has just um, done so much for music, done so much for the culture, which helped give us the Moderna vaccine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I forget that. I mean, she's got
1: that X factor this year that nobody else has, which is that she helped get us a vaccine,
3: and she pro- and she promoted people getting the vaccine, mm-hmm. which we didn't necessarily know was going to be a thing, but it turned out to be a thing. So it was mm-hmm. good that she you know made that video getting the and even a song even remixed jolene the covid remix. yeah so, she made the right.
0: vaccine jolene yeah. remix vaccine 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 i'm begging of you please don't hesitate and honestly we love her for it not many people could do a vaccine parody of their own song and i would like it she yeah. might be the only one actually <laughs> like without it being just corny you know because she's like yeah. i i helped get this vaccine she And I really hope that you get it. And maybe some of the people who might not listen to other people will listen to Dolly.
3: Yeah. Is there anything Dolly would do short of like shooting somebody or something? Like, what could Dolly I mean, do? To yeah. Make you upset I'm like, is her? there
0: a super cut of her saying the N word somewhere? <laughs> oh, you know, I, like, I sure hope not because God. I love yeah. her and they it would be really devastating. I'd be really having some trouble.
1: I even think Dolly shooting someone, we would absolutely as a culture get over. Pretty there must quickly. have been a reason. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. What did they
0: do? So, like, who, the question
1: would not be, why did Dolly shoot someone? Would be, what did that person do yeah. to Dolly? And
3: she probably would write a great song about it yeah mm-hmm. even if she went to prison but i don't want her to go to prison but anyway so my <laughs> last thing i was really really torn um between Fela coote and dion warwick mm-hmm. but since dion warwick is still with us yes so where yes. the
0: alive part comes in yeah yeah and, and also you know
3: i was really thinking about it because i know you all have had a lot of conversations about um once whitney was let in is that just gonna let a flood of like pop chanteuse? you know but i think dion is a lot more than that i think dion mm-hmm. just the kind of cool, subtle way that she sings. I think that she was very influential, even to Annie Lennox, I would say. With Dion, it's really a lot about like the phrasing and kind of the Intellectual cool she brings to like romantic songs, and her, you know, she's never too pressed. You never really feel like she's gonna,
0: some effortless, gentleman, absolutely yeah, effortless, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You
3: know, and, and if she loses somebody, somebody else will come along, you know, and and she's wise, you know, she can ask you, What's it all about, Alfie? you know, and you wonder what <laughs> it is all about, you know, she yeah. really is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Dion.
1: Often uh, when we talk to people, they're looking for something rebellious or like edgy because those are the things that we associate with rock and roll, but you make a good point. And, you know, also when we talked about Whitney, it was like, initially like who after Whitney, will we start to consider? But I think also with Whitney, it, it becomes, okay, well, who, if we go backwards, lay the groundwork for someone like Whitney, Dion is a complete, direct line to Whitney.
3: Yeah, and you know, in a lot of ways, I think Dion is actually even kind of more rock and roll than Whitney because Dion was always cool and Mm -hmm. cool is definitely one of those um, rock and roll (laughs) staples, you know, Mm -hmm. and sort of, and she embodies never let them see you sweat. And I just think that kind of thing, you know, you think of artists like Brian Ferry, you know, you think of these artists that are rockers, but they're very sort of like smooth, smooth. I think she really helped create the template for that. You know,
0: I, I think that's a really good way to look at it because I think, Oftentimes what we hear from people when they're just kind of like, oh, Dionne Warwick is that rock and roll rock needs edges, you know, but it's like, I think there's a couple of ways to approach being rock and roll and that is definitely one of them that's the role of it if you will, Uh, you know it's kind of like smooth. At ease, absolutely unbothered, you know, effortless, cool. That's an interesting way to like almost make the case for her rockness as well, because I think people push back on that because she did seem so effortless. They're like, oh, smooth, smooth means boring. Smooth means safe rather than smooth, meaning completely just cool as a cucumber.
3: And you know, what's really interesting if you think, since Whitney and Dion were related and they come from a big gospel singing family, Whitney very much, you know, you play Whitney, you hear gospel. You don't really hear gospel when you play at Dion. It's like mm-hmm. she came up with her own singing style that incorporated her gospel training, but became this pop thing that was very, very different. So I think in terms of innovation, I think she really was a vocal innovator and doesn't get credit for that, the conversational way that she sings. Her songs have a lot of attitudes. It's almost like she's giving the middle finger like a you know traditional rocker, but she's wearing a couture gown. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's, like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that mixture. Yeah. I mean, we will be
1: advocating for her pretty hard when we hit the phones this year and, and talk to voters. And I will
0: probably be using some of your uh, mm-hmm. this words. This is good.
2: <laughs> which is good because we,
0: we advocate for her a lot last year and I feel like I've got to remind myself like okay what's my what are my bullet Mm -hmm. points what's the art? oh yeah exactly so thank you for that
3: you are welcome (laughs) I won't trademark any of my words between thank you
1: (laughs) so to review your your ballot would be Eurythmics Tribe Called Quest New York Dolls Dolly Parton and Dionne Warwick I think that's pretty good
0: that's a solid
1: ballot. I mean, we feel like Dolly is the slam dunk of all slam dunks. How do you how do you fill out a ballot and not vote for Dolly? She's gonna waltz right in.
3: That should be a good like way of testing whether or not people should still get ballots, because a lot of old, <laughs> not just because they're older, but a lot of out of touch people have them. And so, like, if you didn't vote for Dolly Parton, that should just be like
0: they junk your ballot. Won't, yeah. <laughs> like, maybe we. They're well, like, not- this person clearly doesn't understand. <laughs>
3: Not that I'm pro democracy, so I would okay. count the ballots. Not what I, just I heard. I
0: just, <laughs> I just wouldn't invite them back the next time. So
3: uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know. I guess that's I,
0: voter oh, suppression. Yeah, you're but. purged from the voter rolls now.
1: Interesting ad- advocacy here. Mm. For,
0: mm-hmm, <laughs> hmm.
1: Voter purging. Uh oh. I mean, it's interesting because we. Approach these these things strategically often. And when we talk to people and try to influence their ballots, talk about democracy, we probably won't advocate for Dolly because we don't think she needs the help. We yeah. get the sense that she's probably fine. And there are other artists like Dion, who we saw last year did not make the cut, might right. need that extra push to make it. And I think Pat Benatar is another one that we're Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh
1: my worried. God, that was
2: so hard
3: not to right. put her on there. But it was like mm-hmm. It was just kind of like with Pat Benatar. I was just, I mean, she rock was so male dominated at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when she came out with Heartbreaker and like, oh, oh you know, like did all those, yeah. I was like, why is this coming out of the radio? Yeah. I mean, she really did it. It's just, I, I, she definitely deserves a place at, at some point. It's just one of those hard things that like when I always get caught up, here's the thing that I get caught up with your criteria. Please. I always get caught up on influence. I think. When I was here last time, like I was thinking of influence almost like a photocopy or, or something. Or not really a photocopy, but just something where you can clearly see the influence. And I mm-hmm. think that influence is much more diffuse and it can be in little things and things you don't necessarily associate. For example, um, eurythmics are very influenced by the army group Salmon Day, but the old school army group salmon. You would not necessarily think that. Mm-hmm. so like if you had had me on um are sam and dave in the um yes I hope they so. are yeah they yeah.
1: are a they got okay. in as soon as they were eligible yeah that's
3: what i thought but like if you had had me on in the sam and dave times if zoom even existed um <laughs> you know i probably would not have made the connection between i probably wouldn't you know sam and dave are really influential because if without them, you wouldn't Obviously, have that the dream. Rhythmics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh-huh. I, I think that that trips me up a lot. But yeah, Pat Benatar definitely needs to get in.
0: Yeah, I'm worried about her. She's a bit of a bubble again. And it's just easy to forget about Pat. And I hate it. I mean, I've she's my current cause, her and Shaka, but Shaka's not even on this year. So maybe she'll just get in the side category. But it is very easy to imagine a world in which everybody fills out their ballot and they're like, oh yeah, Pat should get in, but I'm not using one of my slots for her.
3: Which is what I exactly want. As you just saw. <laughs> yep. It's that easy.
0: It's that <laughs> easy. Someone who really believes she deserves it and should be in. And yet
3: no room. And yet no room. End. Mm-mm. I mean, because the thing I also think um, you know, advocating for Pat, she does not get enough credit also for how smoothly she transitioned into the MTV era. Because I'm, like, I was literally a teenager through this whole time, so I really like know what was going on. And you know, she went from being a radio artist or an artist that you see on Solid Gold or something, but then when like Love as a Battlefield came out, and she's doing choreo mm-hmm. and all she's this kind of shimmying in
1: street tough Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like.
3: Whoa! Because it it automatically then put her in a whole new category of artists like Michael Jackson and like, you know, Madonnas and stuff like that, of artists who really can translate their aesthetic into the video era. And she did that so well with like Sex as a Weapon. And then she came back. She had a comeback with um, All Fired Up. That was like one of her 90s, even into the 90s, she had... An MTV hit. So, yeah, she think- rules.
0: I almost think you should vote for her. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> who, know, would you, who would you tell me to take off? So that,
2: that,
3: I'll vote for her. Dolly,
0: and I love Dolly Parton, but she's going to get in. There is she, not she a person need voting like, who's- we
1: also, you know, this the is worst, real. So we think strategically,
0: so. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But like, if, this is if, just if this was that real. If, if this were, if I got to make my heart ballot, I would be voting for Dolly Parton. <laughs> There's no chance I would pass up an opportunity to vote for Dolly unless yeah. I thought that me doing so could get yeah. someone that I also think is incredibly worthy in.
1: It would be them or the dolls. you know. Yeah. I don't think the dolls are going to have enough support to make the ballot.
0: Yeah, what? dolls are not getting in this year. I don't understand that,
3: though. Like, no way. I, I, Aren't the voters kind of like older white guys, rock guys? Yeah, I mean, I thought like New York dolls are just revered. Yeah, and that, you know, when sex. we talked to
1: those types of people last year, we, we found that a lot of people were voting for the dolls. A lot of them were straight up in New York at the Mercer street sessions. You know, they were in the thick of it, but I mean, it's a competitive ballot this year. More so than I think yeah. we've seen, and it's the th- what's spurring this conversation of how do you begin to even pick five artists? So
3: because it's like everybody um, almost I feel like on this list deserves to get in. I don't necessarily like everybody on the list or listen to everybody on the list, but I do think that you know there's not one person I go oh please like why are they even no under this is
0: someone asked us that literal question yesterday. We were on someone else's podcast and they said who do you think can wait? Who do you think just is you know you like them but they can wait? Like there's plenty many people who can wait, but there's nobody on this ballot that I'm like, what? Or no way or never, or I hope they never get in, you know? (laughs) Like, I don't feel that way about any of the people that are nominated. I'm like, sure, put them all in. Honestly, for me, you know, I think that there's room at the hall for everybody. everybody. It doesn't really exist, so who cares? But it's just a ballot full of deserving people, not a ton of crazy, exciting options, but like a lot of people that you're like, yeah, they're good, they should be in, I like them. Also, when you threw the Joe screen shared from the Hall's website where they list the nominees, and I realized it says the voting on it, like Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. fanvote.rockhall.com. And I was like, oh, I've never done that. I don't think I've ever even voted one time (laughs) in my whole life because I know how meaningless it is. But then I I went and looked over at it. I went and voted for Pat and uh, Dion and Tribe. I didn't know how the standings were, but now I'm looking at the standings. And yeah, Eminem is just like destroying right now at number one. And so it's Eminem, Duran Duran, third place, Pat Benatar, fourth place, Dolly Parton, fifth place, just transitioning us right into today's topic. Your Rhythmics. yay! Perfect, hey, that's great.
1: Perfect, yeah. And let's talk, Let's talk about them. Thank you for that transition, Kristen. That was a great transition. I,
0: you thought I was just going to be distracting us with something else, and I was <laughs> bringing us home for once.
3: Incredible, and it's a bit of a surprise. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's yeah. really high for them.
0: They're ten thousand votes above Lionel Richie. Like and who's I'm, in who's in sixth place?
3: And I'm only responsible for one of those. So well, yeah.
0: Let's talk
1: about the Eurythmics. We'll start off with what do they mean to you? And do you re- do you remember the first time you heard the Eurythmics? Oh God,
3: yes. I do hearing it on the radio just because it sounded like nothing else I'd ever heard. Sweet Dream was the song. And it just sounded like nothing else I'd ever heard before. And I was a big synth pop person. I was very into Human League and Heaven 17 and Culture Club and Thompson twins. But the thing about mm-hmm. your is that you had that cold synthesizer sound that dum bum bum, you know, almost like a mm-hmm. cathedral-like sound. And then you had Annie Lennox's soulful voice over that seeing the lyrics but also kind of just like crooning and riffing and stuff almost like in a very churchy type way yeah Um, low
0: and high you know that i think is the most her range we don't talk about enough probably as a vocalist, and I'm sure we'll Mm -hmm. get into it today, but.
3: Yeah, just doing all sorts of crazy vocal tricks, not tricks, but just crazy. I mean, really showing like that she's both studied the craft of certain forms of African-American singing, and she also can pull it off, you know, Mm -hmm. because what you have a lot of the history of rock is White acts trying to do something a black act is doing, especially
0: white British acts. Yes, they have no shame
3: and they don't quite succeed, but yet there's something kind of charming in the attempt. I mean, I think that's a lot that describes a lot of the history of rock. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. But Annie was just sounded so soulful. And I mean, I first heard that on a black radio station in DC, WKYS. And then it became like kind of a video phenomenon and everything. And then I was just obsessed with her voice. Everybody I knew was a success. Black, white, was obsessed with sweet dreams. I, of course... Continue to be obsessed to this day, where other people, you know, moved on with their lives. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was just—it's just that tension between the soulfulness and the really human, like rootedness of her voice, and Dave Stewart's chill, almost like horror, like you know, mm-hmm. um, a little sinister,
1: yeah. Then
3: strings, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just—it's like it was like nothing anybody had ever heard. And the other thing I'd say about it that was so different from a lot of the British new wave bands that I was listening to is that one of the reasons I like that genre is because it always had a prominent African-American presence like in the background vocals. Um, Mm. The singing group Aphrodisiac with Claudia Fontaine and Karen Wheeler who would go on to sing lead for um, Soul to Soul and Keep on Moving and Back to Life.
0: Two of my favorite songs in the entire
3: world. Oh, Karen Riddler is brilliant. And you know, they were singing for like Elvis Costello and just all these people. And the thing about Eurythmics is that it kind of flipped it. It had the call and response, but instead of being like a male, a white male singer singing something and then this really soulful background, it's like mm-hmm. you had a soulful woman lead vocal. Front, and also yeah. she, mm-hmm. so she was doing her own call and response. So it was just mm-hmm. a really powerful statement musically it was a powerful statement in terms of gender because she was doing this that hadn't really been done she was occupying the space within the synth world and seeing that hadn't really been done also it represented this really cool moment when you know we go through all this conversations now about like cultural appropriation or whatever you know but that was like a really cool moment where a lot of especially people in the uk were making really cool music that was influenced by black music but it wasn't trying to copy it or anything like that. It was just really influenced so that people that loved soul and loved R&B got what they were trying to do and appreciated what they were trying to do and liked the music, you mm-hmm. know, and that's very rare. Like, cause usually when somebody like when a white artist is trying to be R&B or trying to sing soulfully or something like that, like you can see it a mile away, it doesn't feel organic or something. Mm-hmm. But with Annie, it just always felt Organic. That is how they made their big impression in sound. The way they made their big impression culturally yep. had a lot to do with just Music Annie Lennox. Look, yeah, mm-hmm. and just yeah. you know mm-hmm. the androgynous. And we had, yes. Yeah. We were used to like Debbie Harry, Blondie, you know, who was kind of mm-hmm. badass but still pretty quite and, feminine,
0: like, yes. quite femme mm-hmm. presenting, and all of that. And then here exactly. comes Annie with a shock know, of tr- tr- orange hair. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Power suit, absolutely bondage inspired aesthetics and androgyny and like really just shocking to look at. And then in also like oddly incongruous to the sound, but also making sense, you know, because you had that kind of dangerous synth sound that sounded dark and things, but then Mm -hmm. you have her very soulful vocals coming on top of this. And who you're expecting is not this tiny white woman in Scotland. Yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This like exactly you're not expecting that to be the visual accompanying these vocals. And then also, you know, they like leaned into that imagery you know yeah. and really just they they were influential and incongruous in so many interesting ways that I'm just excited to see them on the ball. I'm so excited to talk about them today. <laughs> yeah, I,
3: I, I'm excited to see them too. And I think, you know, one thing you said that was really important is that, you know, it's just hard to go back in time and realize what wasn't there before somebody, but the whole performative aspect. Now, like when we watch the red carpet and the Grammys, we expect somebody to have a Martian head or like, you know, <laughs> yeah, a tail coming out of their butt. Yeah. Or just something you like know, bizarre. You know,
0: dressed as a swan, la, la. Yeah, a, exactly. a spectacle.
3: We now expect kind of an extension of... Of the artist's image to show up on the red carpet. So if mm-hmm. you're weird, we want weird. If you're this and that, mm-hmm. you know, but that was not happening back when Annie Lennox performed at the Grammys and she was wearing, she wore this like Mickey Mouse costume. It was kind of like Mickey Mouse bondage, you know, well, Minnie, I guess. Minnie Mouse, like kind of reimagined as a dominatrix. People lost their minds. And now it probably would not even warrant like a notice on E or anything like that. But people really lost their minds that somebody was wearing something that looked like a costume.
0: Yeah, she's wearing like a leather mini dress. Exactly.
3: And mouse ears.
0: M-I-N-I dress. And then she's wearing M-I-N-N-I-E mouse ears. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
3: that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like A not concept. that
0: outrageous at all, but yeah, yeah. people probably.
1: And it, it's one of many shocking looks that, I mean, one of the more famous ones is when she was dressed essentially as Elvis at another oh, Grammy, yeah. uh, which was something that was not really done. And I believe the even the producers of, of the Grammys were not aware that that was happening and thought she wasn't there because they didn't recognize her. Oh, because they didn't recognize her. And no. what people
3: don't understand too, I think is that this was back in the days where there were only three networks Mm -hmm. So you or somebody in your family was probably watching the Grammys, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Because mm-hmm. if there was like a big TV show like that, then the other networks usually counter-programmed with like reruns or something. So like a lot of people that aren't even weren't even into music just watched the Grammys because it was on one of three channels that you were able to watch, yeah, you know? right. So it really did reach beyond people that were kind of into music. And then the other way the thinking did that is that she was on the cover of Rolling Stone with her orange hair, and that was a that newsstands were very prominent so even if you didn't read rolling stone just in your commute every day you saw this bizarre woman with flaming orange hair on rolling stone so you knew it meant something and she and boy george were on the cover of newsweek and this was the time when before the internet when like people either had like a time subscription or a newsweek subscription or something like that it comes into the home yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i mean there was just a lot of visibility of pop figures in the 80s where that there's no way to compare it to even what happened in the 90s just because media diversified. Diversified, so yeah. Yeah, but in the 80s, like that's why these artists are so iconic in people's minds because they really saturated the limited media landscape that was available at the time.
0: Well, and also, you know, not to, again belabor how important and impactful MTV was in giving people an image to identify with the music, you know? And so you were able to sell also another part of what you're about. And you have access again, to a lot of people who are not necessarily there to see your music video. They're waiting for the one that they want after yours. And then they'll sit through yours, you know, and be like, okay, what's going on with this lady with the whip? Yeah. What's
1: this cow doing here? Yeah.
0: <laughs> like also oh, kind of it's so weird yeah okay you know i'm waiting for duran duran or whatever but i think people were exposed to other types of music way more often because of that or you know whatever was yes, MTV definitely. programming you know
3: mm-hmm. no I, I definitely think that's the case and you know another thing that uk acts and a lot of international acts did really really well is they understood the sort of aspirational nature of music videos in a way that I don't think US acts got at first. You know, like, here comes the rain again. She's, like, on some mountain, wherever. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. they're taking you to, like, these really bizarre places and like creating these really bizarre, like that conference room and Sweet Dreams or like the nightclub and Who's That Girl? It's kind of like they're taking you to these places where a lot of U.S. accents at the time were just doing concert videos, you know, to show up a guitar, mm-hmm. or it was like Billy Squire just flouncing around in some satin sheets. But it wasn't really like mm-hmm. creating cinematic. a mood. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know what? Yeah, I don't want to be in Billy Squire's bedroom, but I wouldn't mind <laughs> being at the nightclub with um, Eurythmics and Who's That Girl? Cool, so. Yes, Mm -hmm. no shade to Billy Squire.
1: No, I mean, he suffered enough from the video. Stroke me,
3: stroke me,
2: yeah. Oh boy.
1: Well, I think it's it's time to get to these uh, categories that we haven't done in, in so long, you know, because The Rock Hall doesn't have a list of categories, so it is often difficult to understand why an artist gets in or why it takes a long time or if they'll get in at all. So uh, let's take a quick break though. And then when we come back, we will dive in once again into the categories. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you, you
0: realized you were enjoying yourself.
1: Yeah, you appreciated the moment. Uh, all right, so let's talk about the Eurythmics. Second time on the ballot this year, first nominated in 2018, and first eligible for the 2007 ceremony. The last time they were on a ballot, they competed with a lot of classic rock acts, which is they are not doing this year. So I guess we don't know exactly how they will fare with this type of ballot. 2018 was the famous... Bon Jovi, Moody Blues, Cars, Dire Straits. They were on the ballot
0: in that year.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: that's what we got? <laughs> Ooh, we also, my we beef got, with we got, 2018. We got Nina
1: Simone, <laughs> but yes, we, that was that year. And okay. so they were up against a different type of artist than they are this year.
0: It's interesting though, because the cars got in that year and mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost like, yeah, if we're going to get anywhere near new wave, let's just at least make sure it's men, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, more mm. obvious guitar. Yeah, please. Okay. Uh, That was also the year when Radiohead did not get in on their first year of eligible. What
0: in the damn... Hell.
1: A strange year for sure. You know, Absolute people say strange.
0: 2020 was a hard year, but for me, it's 2018. <laughs> In terms of the Rock
1: Hall. <laughs> In terms
0: of the Rock Hall, it honestly is. <laughs> yeah. I'd, take, I'd take 2020 over 18.
3: It was a sign of things to come, I guess. It was, an omen. Oh my oh my was a bad <laughs> omen.
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: anyway, that was, that was the last time we were on a ballot. Let's get into these categories. And the first is iconic slash recognizable songs. And, you know, often when we do this category, it's like what are songs everybody knows we don't always get the opportunity to like really talk about an iconic song but mm. Eurythmics absolutely have one with Sweet Dreams
2: sweet dreams are made of this who am I to disagree? a
1: song that everybody knows even if you don't really know music still play it on the radio playing constantly. in a target right now yes. guarantee yes. it and also I think Sweet Dreams has become weirdly symbolic of the 80s or like emblematic of yeah. the 80s.
0: It could be a needle drop in a film to like well, set the time.
1: House of mm-hmm. Gucci last year in the trailer to show you that like this is the 80s it's sweet dreams thumping throughout the whole thing oh and
3: remember
2: so,
1: that. yeah Do you want to quickly identifiably show that we're in the 80s sweet dreams
0: because also it's got such a identifiable riff, uh, riff and mm. so you don't have to use any words to let us know
1: yeah exactly you know you hear the synths and you're like, okay, I get the era. And then you hear the song you're like, oh yeah, this song kicks ass. And you're right, you can have dialogue over the riff and you still you know, lose it. Yeah,
3: I think it lends gravitas to something. Because we mentioned the House of Gucci, which of course involves murder and stuff like that. So then mm-hmm. this Sweet Dreams has enough depth to take on all of that kind of stuff. It's not like a light party song or something like that. You know, it's not like... Mm-hmm. Um, Karma Chameleon or something. Yeah, yeah. No, no, exactly it's really right. Yeah. It is, it's a, it's a, a sinister
0: song. While it
1: can still be a dance yes, floor song can though, you know. still
0: fill a dance floor with it. Also, I was just thinking, I was like, yeah, do people do that song at karaoke? They shouldn't. Like, <laughs> cause it's so hard, I mean, it's so low, so low and so high at like the, same the same time. Like within the same phrase to be like, yeah. Hold your head up,
1: moving on. Like you have like, to
0: really like go up good. and down totally fast. good. Joe and I are going to do at that when karaoke is yes. back someday. I'm here for it, that's great. To be clear, I'll be doing the moving on part. <laughs> you know, but okay.
1: <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, that song is just, if we look at the Eurythmics songs, like that is head and shoulders above all of them in terms of like, how iconic it is, how recognizable, how often you Mm -hmm. hear it, how everybody knows it. Then I would say if I had to categorize this in terms of how often I hear the songs still, I feel like Here Comes the Rain Again has the second slot. I still hear that song on the radio. Then I'd say there's another drop, and then that's where we get to.
0: Would I lie to you? What I lie to you?
1: Which I think is another great movie trailer song, but for different reasons. That's oh, yeah. that one's more fun. That one, yeah. hey,
0: you're dealing with a rascal, okay? Yes, there's He's a, a mix-up
1: of some right, sort. Yeah. this is
0: a this is a bad situation, but it's probably going to turn out okay.
1: <laughs> Very different type of movie, yeah.
3: But that song really, if you had to ask, say, what are the roots of the rhythmic sound? You play "Would I Lie to You" because that relates to like the Sam and Dave and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. that Yeah, Dave was the horns
0: about. are so yeah. prevalent in that song. I hadn't thought much uh, before we started this episode. If you can no imagine, that I just came in cold and now I'm getting hot. I hadn't realized just how soulful. Eurythmics music is because I do think of them as such a new wave band and so synthy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously, like Would I Lie to You is a soul song. I yeah. mean, they were trying to do a so like an yeah. R&B
3: review, you know, with
0: the mm-hmm. all the horns. And all. I mean, like yeah. it's all in there and just really thinking about it right now, bear with me, audience, if you've already thought about this, but like <laughs> it is occurring to me just how soulful so much of their music was.
3: And I just remember when that video premiered on MTV, like me and all my friends were just like, we loved it obviously but it was wait a minute any last time we saw Annie Lennox she's like super cool and then all of a sudden she's on stage and like got Martha in the Vandellas dress and you know like just really singing and belted it out it's like oh my gosh just that performance thing you know we're used to, we were used to people like Madonna like maybe changing their image per project and something like that but like almost becoming an entirely different person that was just kind of different you know and it was just like oh there was a lot going on with pop music in the 80s that paralleled a lot of um social tensions and it was very much like new wave was associated with queerness and androgyny and women and you know this all the <laughs> Mm -hmm. Those kind of things. Whereas, like, rock was just. And men
0: wearing makeup. Yeah, yeah. All this
3: confusing, you know, quote unquote. So, just to have them come out like that, some of my friends did not like that because they felt like they were going too much in the rock direction. And so that they were like leaving, they had used to be kind of like the voice and image of the marginalized. And Mm -hmm. then now they're doing this, like,
0: now she's in like a tight of- black mini skirt exactly, dress. Exactly. She's wearing red lipstick. She's got bleach blonde hair. You mm-hmm. know, it's like much more conventional, like mm-hmm. femme yeah. approach. She's standing, she's hot, she's in front of a band, you know, she's singing into a microphone. We're seeing I I was just looking up images from this music video to try to jog my memory and I I do remember this music video. But yeah, I could see that people might feel like, okay, well, what the hell is this? Yeah, where you you're supposed to be blindfolded somewhere. And instead I'm <laughs> seeing yeah. you know, you look like you could almost be the eye candy in like an all-male rock band's music video. That's like a traditional dynamic of a bunch of men in the background and then a hot woman at the microphone yeah. singing. I mean,
3: I really had, I would say, of my friends, all like they really hated when Dave Stewart picked up the guitar and was no longer that sense sound. Mm-hmm. They really felt betrayed, you know, just because the guitar was so, at the, in the 80s, it was just so associated with kind of like medley stuff and homophobia and racism mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And the new wave world felt like such an oasis, felt like such a safe space and oasis for somebody to bring a guitar into it. It was like, oh, yeah. no, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Yeah, so, it's, it's um, interesting. It, it was weird. They lost a lot of people with that, but they gained a lot more more people in terms of because it was a big pop hit and it was a big like album radio hit and everything like that so it was kind of and like a, a
0: great song oh, well, you know the song. what i mean love the song yeah and yeah
3: i, I think it's a song i always yeah. love the song from day one to their
1: credit you know they were experimenting with the sounds that they were making you exactly. know and it's, it's funny how something that is sonic could be perceived as an affront yeah
0: it was the opposite of dylan goes electric you know <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's going the other, going backwards <laughs> they, they from the dynamic the the other song that i i think of that's also at that level that you hear sometimes that i think is mm-hmm. very rock forward is missionary don't
2: mess with a missionary man ah. don't mess with a missionary man and
1: that's on an Revenge, which is one of their albums that is very very intentionally more traditional rock versus the electronic synth sound.
3: Yeah, and just such a great, I mean, just the songwriting on that album is just because what they did with that album um, and they've never released this, which was really um, kind of like irritating, but there became this whole thing about in the mid-80s where synth pop was then just like, oh, you're not musicians, you're not rockers, just get out of here, and that just kind of completely died. So it became like the people that wanted to sustain had to kind of reinvent themselves and kind of be like, Hey, we actually have talent. We don't just, you know, <laughs> ba- do- ba- do- 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 do. we're not just pushing these little buttons and stuff like that. So around this time, the Eurythmics, the, your revenge, they actually had a um, live acoustic EP that mm. rock stations used to play the acoustic version of the songs. Cause they wanted to show that the songs were really well-structured songs. They're really well done outside of any instrumentation, even though that album wasn't electronic, but just to go. And they even went on the Arsenio Hall show at some point and did all their hits, Sweet Dreams, and all that kind of just with um, Annie singing and Dave on the guitar. So it was kind of this whole movement like, wait a minute, we're real mu- musicians and we're going on this campaign tour yeah. <laughs> to prove that we're real musicians. So mm-hmm. um, that was really an interesting period too. Yeah, I mean, a- at
1: times it's interesting of who they win over. I'm thinking about the album before that it has Sisters Are Doing It For that Themselves say, on if it. If we
0: are not gonna talk about yeah, Sisters right. Are Doing It For Themselves and I... I-
3: anything, but I was like, okay, well, we're going through these top songs now, and yeah. Yeah. We- its like, but this- you know, that
1: was the uh, famous duet with Aretha Franklin, and. If I have to say, I feel like I don't hear that song as much anymore, just kind of out and about.
0: I think, too, you know, that could be a needle drop in a different type of trailer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you're I right. Think, I think we probably totally. uh, have heard that one. We're Not hitting all lately, different types
1: of uh, But that's here. a
0: different, you know, movie. A woman is out there trying to make it.
1: Well, the story is they wanted Tina Turner for that really? originally and uh, um, couldn't better. get her, but they were like, Is it funny get that, her. like,
0: interesting
1: second choice so to speak is like the greatest soul singer of all time they had it's almost like laughable that like that's what they were settling with they didn't think that because they were just like oh yeah
3: would have been great i would
0: love to hear is there a version of that out there i'm like you know because she was so big in the uk i'm just like there had to be, well, I think once, be a time when they sang that together. Once
1: Aretha does it, then it becomes Aretha's, you know? Yeah. Almost like out of respect, you don't do it.
3: If you listen to Aretha's Amazing Grace or watch the movie, which I would highly recommend, you can hear how Annie studied Aretha's riffs. I mean, you can hear those exact riffs that she does like on Amazing Grace on Sweet Dreams. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that literal, I mean, the, the same thing. And so she, of course, you know, when you get to work with your idols, Annie was just so excited to work because they did not record the song together. So the first time they met was when they were doing the video. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as a lot of people know, Aretha doesn't like to fly, so they couldn't do the video in LA or New York or the UK or Scotland, you know, whatever. They had to do it in Detroit. So they fly to Detroit to do it and everything like that. And Annie's so excited to meet Aretha. And Aretha just comes in and like some kind of big car, a limousine, a Cadillac or something. A a Cadillac,
0: a pink pink one, maybe?
3: (laughs) (laughs) And she's wearing like this huge fur coat and it was like the middle of summer, I think. And... You know, she's just very like putting on air. She doesn't, she's not friendly. She doesn't talk to Annie at all and all that kind of stuff. And so they came away with it saying that it was a really bad experience. But and I think even in the video, they're standing like, it's almost like pre-COVID. They're standing like, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> in the video, they're social distancing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that reflected, you know, the mood on set. But yeah, that was a memorable song that wasn't necessarily as good of an experience as it might look like on video. Interesting. Or Annie Lennox. I mean, Aretha may have thought it was fine. I don't know.
1: You know, the two of them, I don't know if they did any live performances before this, but famously at the 25th anniversary of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this big concert, Aretha and Annie performed together.
2: I did not
1: that. Which is, yeah, very cool.
3: You all are always putting me onto something.
1: But yeah, and also we're we're kind of working backwards chronologically, but also on that album, which has sisters are doing it for themselves and would I lie to you? Be yourself tonight is the album. I think there must be an angel
3: is mm-hmm. one. Oh God, that is it's so recognizable. So cool. And Stevie Wonder on harmonica, right? Wow. You know, "The Beers of Tonight" that was a really pivotal album for them because that also had them, because again, they started off with this kind of synth pop stigma, but by "Be Yourself Tonight," you have Aretha Franklin on it, you have Elvis Costello, it, you and you have Stevie Wonder. So it's kind of like that's the point that musically, I think, in terms of the musical community people officially took them seriously as being, you know, real musicians who are in this for the long haul. I know Dave Stewart started getting a lot of production gigs and stuff. That seemed to be the moment where they crossed over into being just kind of an accepted, not like a hair band, not being written off with the Duran Duran's. I'm not saying anything about Duran Duran. I like Duran Duran, but just, but those type of artists that were kind of written off the synth pop, the human league and all that kind of stuff. Be Yourself Tonight was sort of the album that, took Eurythmics out of that context and put them into like another context
1: Mm -hmm. they got serious cred and
3: exactly it's mm -hmm. serious
1: musician cred you could see that with the guest musicians on on that album and again we're working kind of backwards but they released two huge albums in in 1983 Sweet Dreams and Touch in terms of what was on sweet dreams besides the title track love is a stranger i think is maybe my personal favorite and maybe a song you will potentially hear out and about
2: and a huge video huge
1: mtv video Mm -hmm. touch has here comes the rain again it also Mm -hmm. has who's that girl which is another you know, video where Annie is completely transforming her look. I think she has like a long blonde wig on that one. And then as we talk about the Eurythmics experimenting with sound and doing songs in a style that you might not expect, right by your side. And that song is essentially a Calypso song. Mm-hmm, yeah. And a completely different vibe, even though it still
3: feels Eurythmics. It is just, you know. And that's what they closed the tour with. I saw that tour mm-hmm. and they closed with Right By Your Side. Yeah, that was just an amazing era for so many reasons. One of my favorite groups, they won't be nominated for the rock and roll name, Bananarama. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I, I mean,
3: Ban- Bananarama.
1: Interestingly enough, you know, Dave Stewart's, I want to well, say, exactly, one, yeah. of his, one of his wives, uh, Siobhan. Siobhan
3: but they are in, they're in the who's that girl video. So either way before they were dating, you know, I don't know. They made the date. I think they made the marriage. Yeah. Yeah. On the side of the video. video, Yeah. But you know, but that was also a time that guest spots in videos weren't
0: common and they weren't curated or like, you know, yeah, uh,
3: by the labels, (laughs) like a deal
0: between the labels. Exactly. Yeah. So just like sitting there watching
3: it and I'm like a huge fan of Derrhythmics. And a huge fan of Banana Rama. And then I'm watching it and like, oh my God, that's, you know, Siobhan, Karen, and Sarah, you know, and I'm like freaking out. It's so. the
1: 80s cinematic universe. <laughs>
0: yeah. Music All videos. coming together. <laughs>
1: Extended universe.
0: So funny. I'm from Chicago. So I of course say banana Um <laughs>
3: You have to, to get I, a lot I say of. But- air.
0: I say banana rama.
3: Banana rama. I say
0: only- banana rama.
3: I say banana rama <laughs> only because you know the single. Do they know it's Christmas? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, on the B side of that, the artists that are on the record are just like talking, just like talking crap over the B for no reason. Mm-hmm. And so, so banana rama, they go like, "This is Sarah. This is Savan. This is Karen, And we're banana rama." <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: Happy Christmas. From I, think from yeah. so I can only say Bananarama the say it, yeah. Yeah, and we're definitely. Bananarama. And it's
1: totally respectful Rama. to say mm-hmm. it no, it's true. A, you know, please.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, to me, that is in terms of the recognizable songs, songs you might hear out and about. I think that is pretty much the list. Let's go to the next category, which is classic albums. And, you know, we've already kind of started to talk about that through the songs you know and let's we can go through their discography their first album in the garden was their debut but the 1983 sweet dreams was when they broke so in the garden is not often discussed it's interesting
3: to hear because there are a lot of um your lot like official live recordings from that time and they even did a live concert from the nightclub heaven that was they released as a video cassette and everything like that where and they do that one song from um in the garden and you can really hear how they change the sound how like they hit on something with that song and then and out of that came sweet dreams and all the other songs so that's why that one song on in the garden was like the catalyst for their whole change in um sound and outlook was it never gonna cry again it's never gonna cry again is what i'm talking about like the one song from in the garden that they still did because i saw the concert a million that they would always mm-hmm. do and just um you know it's really interesting to listen to that song and see how it evolved the album is very quirky and just doesn't really gel it sort of sounds like it might be trying to be soulful but it doesn't quite get there but then if you listen to that song in comparison to the one on the Rhythmics live album It's just wonderful to hear that transition. But just really quickly, the reason why I think the Eurythmics Live CDs because it's the double thing, are so great is because they didn't just do one concert. They listened to recordings throughout their entire career and just chose their favorite ones from different tours and stuff. So you really get to hear like different arrangements of the um, Mm -hmm. songs and different things. So it's a really a wonderful live album if people want to check it out and hear the evolution of their sound. Yeah,
1: Live 1983 to 1989 is the name of that one. And uh, I think that's a good move. I mean, I get the idea of Mm -hmm. like, here's a show, but if you can also be like, because this was released after they had broken up and they started doing yeah. solo projects. It was released in 1993. I think that's how you do it though. You'd be like, we toured for you know the better part of the 80s. Here's the selections that we are you have curated for your ears.
3: Every time they toured, I think it was a largely different band, but even if it wasn't a different band, it was reflective of the mood of whatever that album was and Mm -hmm. then they did all the old songs kind of in that mold so that's why the live album was so significant because every time they did a song on a tour they rearranged it completely differently depending like the way they did sweet dreams during the be yourself tonight tour was completely different than the way they did it during the sweet dreams tour because and again it was this whole thing of whereas the performance you're putting out the image you're putting out for this particular project infuses everything like people talk about people having eras now like if people talking about mm-hmm. like the era of this album i mean they really did an era in terms of the conception of the album, the album art, the videos, and then the tour all felt connected and even with the old stuff.
1: And I think that's great. Gives you a new feel for the songs, new takes on the songs. So 1983 was the big breakout year with the Sweet Dreams album. And then they managed to put out another album, Touch, that same year. And those are two of their biggest albums. You know, often when you see a big breakthrough album and then another album come after it, it's a bit of a rush job or like they're trying to keep the momentum going, but both were super successful and are both mm-hmm. highly regarded albums.
3: Yeah. And in this case, I think it was one, of, it was more like an international thing. It's weird for people to think of it now, but back in the day, international artists could not release an album at the same time internationally. Most people, some huge people could, but could not release the same because it was so important to do like local media and to be on the TV and stuff and to tour in order for people to get the message out because you didn't have social media, you didn't have all this kind of stuff. Sweet Dreams was just released so much earlier in Britain that yeah. by the time it came, got became a hit here, it was already time for Touch to come out so if you look at when they were released in britain it, it seemed it makes a little bit more sense but the great thing about touch too is that they released a project called touch dance mm-hmm. um and a lot of people know how much i love dance music but anyway that had it remixed by people like john jenny benitez madonna's ex-boyfriend and francois k so it was like that made me even fall in love with them even more because they really understood club music enough to release a whole album and this was before people were, were just releasing remix albums and stuff this was really, really a different interpretation. And because it was an album and not just like some single for DJs or something, the clubification of the music, so to speak, was made to feel a part of their overall artistry as opposed to something kind of on the side just for the club people.
0: Well, and it shows their appreciation for dance music and their understanding of some of their fan base. You know. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, you would you would think, <laughs> but the story of this album is that they were not involved, and that oh, it, was, really? it was it was RCA Records chose to do this without their involvement and reached out to people like Bean Benitez and, and you know these other DJs to remix it. Shady. They didn't really have any say, so they they don't love it. Regardless oh, of you know oh. the, the quality of, of the songs, the band themselves were just kind of like, "Oh, well, all right." Um, Take back
3: all my comments about <laughs> it being a part of their image, <laughs> and but keep the part that I said that I still love it because I still <laughs> the only version of the first cut that I play is that version.
2: First
1: is Along the same lines, also in 1984 the same year that Touch Dance, that EP, came out, they did a score for a movie called 1984, which yes. was also mm-hmm. controversial because they didn't know they were putting this together against the wishes of the director, who did, oh, I-
2: who, who did
1: not want, he you know, he wanted a more traditional score. And they felt bad when they found out because they thought, it was being done in accordance with what the director wanted. And there are two versions of that movie that have been released, one with the Eurythmics score and one with the score that the director wanted. So yeah, two, two releases. I
3: this emoji. You know? <laughs> yeah,
1: head exploding. But yeah, two releases in that year where... People were not involved or thrilled with what was happening on on the other side of the equation.
3: That is so interesting because Sex Crimes, which is the first single off the 1984 soundtrack, is one of my favorite Eurydice songs. And I think it is the song that is the perfect segue between the electronic sound of Sweet Dreams and the later kind of more rockier sound of would I lie to you sex crime is exactly that you know what I mm-hmm. mean like it's on the where, path uh, between the yeah two. it's exactly it's like you have the instrumentation that's all electronic but the way she's singing and stuff, it really has that R and B review type of groove. I, again, that's one of my favorite songs, and I don't think it's streaming anywhere, or it, it's very hard to find. I love oh, the twelve inch, and the twelve inch is like really, really hard to find. Like two, I mean, of course I have it, but it's kind of hard to find. Yeah,
1: so. and then yeah, be yourself tonight was eighty five, and then you've got. Revenge in 86. So it's a full band and you can hear the roots of the R&B artists that they loved. And then 1987 Savage is where they kind of return to the more synth songs and sound that made them famous.
3: And all my friends loved them again. Like Savage. (laughs) I really feel like Savage was like them apologizing to like the gays, so to speak, in quotes. Like, because all of my friends, which, you know, I'm gay most of my friends are gay just really abandoned them during that whole rock because they didn't want anything to do with it but then when she came out with that blonde wig and like um <laughs> like acting like a crazy person you know, and all back.
1: she's is, back baby yeah
3: whoa you know like, i mean she really did do the whole it was like a whole drag situation and she had songs like i need a man the old sweet dreams people and the touch people who like didn't mess with the other albums were back for Savage even though it was a huge flop commercially like among their core fan base and among people that listen to edgier music and, you know, alternative music and stuff like that, it really did make an impact. But it was just so late in the game for them to be considered cool by, like, a younger generation. Now. So much time had passed and sweet dreams. And MTV was just becoming really different at that point. So it it just didn't really stand a chance.
1: And they would only have one more album from the 80s in We Two Are One. And then they would break up after that. And they they got together again in 1999 for an album called Peace, which is, you know, their, their final album together.
3: Yeah. And, you know, We Two Are One is such a special album because, well, they have always said ever since the beginning that they don't like to hire people that they want to work with. They want to collaborate with people. So they bring people in as collaborators. So like all the Be Yourself Tonight people for We Two Are One, they hooked up with Charlie Wilson, the lead singer of The Gap Band. And right. he was just kind of there And so he wrote some songs on there And you hear him singing background Like you definitely hear him sing background Like on We Tour One and My My Baby's Gonna Cry my, my.
2: And you
3: also can find like a clip. There's this really great clip of the whole group talking to MTV, including Charlie Wilson. And they're just singing all of these songs, acoustic, just sitting on a couch, like backstage at some New York club. And they just sound amazing. It also kind of had an enduring partnership with a background singer named Jonice Jamison. She's the one belting out mess of the missionary, man, you know, that's mm-hmm. her. And that again was a collaboration that lasted for several albums. And that's different too, really, like for white artists to bring, not just to kind of like take a black sound or like use people to recreate a black sound, but actually bring people into the creative process yeah. and like create something. That wasn't what everybody it's was like doing. The
0: difference between like clout and respect, you know, mm, kind of yeah. like using someone for clout versus respecting them as an artist and a collaborator. It sounds like that was definitely the second.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, all right, so I've I've reviewed the albums here. Do you guys think? And this is this is the question we haven't asked this question in a long time. Oh my god!
0: I really I can't believe we're doing like an artist episode right now. Here we go.
1: Do you guys think the Eurythmics have any albums on the Rolling Stone? 500 and as a reminder there are two versions actually three versions of this list a huge overhaul in in 2020 and then there's the original 2003
3: well i know touches on one of them because i just read it so I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend, you know, would you lie to
1: us? Of course not.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But just saying that I was really surprised that touch was on it because that wasn't like their biggest album. I didn't have the time to look to see what there were other ones, but I I thought if touch is the only album on there, then that's weird.
0: What would you think would be the other one? Sweet dreams. I mean, I
3: I really think be yourself tonight. Probably, you know, "Would I Lie to You" and all that, I think yeah. that was, I think that's a really solid album that makes sense kind of as an album, and I think that "Be Yourself Tonight" also is diverse enough in the music that all the different types of voters, all the different demographic of voters that vote for it, there's probably something on there that they like. You know what I mean? It's like, this is yeah, awful, right. it's rock, it's this and that. They write their own songs. I mean, all the kind of criteria that people have to judge artistry, I think they click all the boxes on that particular album. So that's why I was a little surprised that Touch was on there if Be Yourself Tonight wasn't on there. But all I know is that Touch is on there. I don't know any other information. Okay. So,
0: so you, would you be willing to guess that also yourself tonight would be the other one you would think they might have two I will. i'm just fishing for information yes. because i usually am the one who has to like go out on my own and try to guess this so i'm just like well that sounds good to me <laughs> well, uh, I'll i think
3: yes only because they're nominated for the rock and roll hall of fame so that makes me think that people actually do appreciate them as musicians so knowing that Makes me think that people might have also voted for Be Yourself Tonight. So that's the only reason I would say that.
0: My other thing is, though, just Sweet Dreams being their big, without a doubt, iconic song. And then also the title of that album. Mm -hmm. Just to me, I'm like, oh, if people had to like pick a Eurythmics album, they'd pick the one that's named after their biggest hit. That's where I'm at, Mm -hmm. just with my limited knowledge and the fact that I do know now that touch is on there somewhere. My guess would be sweet dreams and touch.
1: Okay. So I'll end the suffering here. And I'll, I'll just let <laughs> you guys never, know.
0: No, because we don't even get to ever take breaks. No weeks <laughs> off. You will never end my suffering, Joe.
1: So Touch is the only Eurythmics album on Ooh. the 500.
0: Shocker! Now, oh, yes. I, is it only on the most recent iteration or did it get dropped off?
1: It got dropped off.
0: <sighs> it was
1: on the original list. And then it got dropped off.
3: I bet there's an Annie Lennox solo album on there now.
1: Mm, no, I, I don't think so.
3: Because I could see making that replacement, you know, because her first solo album was so big and Diva, such an artistic. Yeah. Diva was such a thing that I could see somebody going well let's just if we're going to acknowledge her for her voice it's not, it's not as deep as
0: all that craig mm. it's like thousands of disparate people just sending in yeah. whatever comes in, in it, their stupid heads it, whatever no, happens, I, happens i did
3: vote for that now i was included ah, among that so yeah well, i am my a rolling stone album voter that's well see great. that's interesting <laughs> and I didn't vote for any Eurythmics albums,
2: I don't <laughs> Well, well, well. And the
0: truth Someone comes out, how could to... this happen? How oh, could it to... happen? Because... How could Pat Benatar get beyond the bubble? How could the Eurythmics have no albums on the Let top Craig 500? Explain himself. Let because, Craig
3: explain because, himself. Because, 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 they don't give you 500 choices. They only give you like 50, 50 I think. 50, yeah, 50. Oh yeah, so... you only
0: got 50. <laughs> so, you know
3: what, that makes it not better. a lot. Mm-hmm. It isn't a lot. I do think no, it should it be more than 50. Yeah. Because It should be more than 50 because the other thing that they do, if you read it in, which I think is so, is like they go 90% of the contributions only got one vote. But like something is really wrong if there were so many albums that just get one vote. I don't know. It just seemed really, really weird.
1: We that maybe we'll- need to expand. Yeah, like what that- is
2: this list? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> now, where do you guys think it fell on the list?
0: So this is in 2012.
1: Let's do 2003. It was revised. So there's a minor change for 2012, but it's, you know, I could give you both of them, but.
0: I'm
3: still confused a little bit by its inclusion. So I have to just say this just because I, I'm trying to yeah. reconcile things to make it make sense in my mind. The Touch tour was really, really dope. It was small theaters and, you know, she had on, I don't know if you've seen the right by your side thing with the leopard hat and all this kind of oh, stuff, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with all that. And it was really a fun time. And not at a stadium or something like that. You really felt a part of it. So I could see if you were an, an older music journalist, like a person like me, and you saw the Touch tour, I could see you having very, very warm, good, fuzzy feelings about Touch enough to put it on your ballot.
0: And that album cover oh is a God. very iconic image. Mm-hmm. I think of it as the most iconic Eurythmics yeah, cover yeah. image and so she's
1: she's got like a little Hamburglar <laughs> mask.
0: Yeah, and then it's the, like the, very the it's like Blade Runner. Hair. I don't know if Blade Runner was before or after. It would have it would
1: have been b- before by so, like a not year. Yeah. Hamburger. So, <laughs> you
0: know, yeah, he says hamburger rather than Blade I mean, Runner, you, which is a weird. Move. You look at the
1: mask she's wearing and tell me it's not a <laughs> hamburger mask, and uh, you know we'll talk. But where do you guys think it fell on the list?
0: I think three twelve. <laughs> I would like See, to bid 312.
3: Part of this game, Craig, is just throwing is out it, a number. Okay. Yeah,
0: you just throw is out it a the number. the highest
3: without going over, like prices Right?
0: <laughs> no, it no, is no, not. No. You it's just closest. Whatever okay. number I, you want. I, and I'm preternaturally good at it, but I'm way I'll out say of practice. i 444.
1: Okay, Craig is closer. Guys, in 2003, Touch by the Arithmics came in at 500.
3: Oh! oh. I was almost going to say that. The it steamy was nerve.
1: Coming in just... Under the wire wow. and then it was re- it, when it was revised, it went to 492 uh, completely <laughs> meaningless, a meaningless move. But sure. And then, uh, yeah, then it was off for 2020. So, I mean, like, the old Rolling Stones set certainly thinks Touch is a classic album. I think you could also, you can make an argument. I mean, Craig, you just did kind of for Be Yourself Tonight. And, I, and you know, I think also Sweet Dreams was a breakthrough. Yeah. I don't think any of these albums, especially in that period where it was going, you know, they put out good albums. And that kind of connects to the next category, which is critical acclaim. Five stars. Like, I, yeah. I feel like the critics love the year of the mix. They were weird and daring and continue to experiment. And that's all the stuff that critics really can sink their teeth into. And you're doing it while making very catchy, very popular
3: music. Kurt Loder, um, with people know from MTV wrote in Rolling Stone and Rolling Stone cover story in 83, he said, soulful is the word, although Eurythmics music makes no pretension to black style. So even from beginning, they were understood as being soulful, but not being minstrelly or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, um, Robert Crisco said about Revenge that he was like, this is rock and roll as sheer performance paraded with pride and a glint of humor. So it's like the critics did get them. Like I think both of those, Mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of times you can be be critically appreciated, but they don't quite understand what you're doing. But I think in this Mm -hmm, case, mm -hmm. they were critically appreciated and the critics got exactly what they were trying to do. Probably in some ways a lot more than the pop audience in many ways.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that they to me seem like very much a band That is for critics, and then for like a hip audience, you know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I I just, I just think anyone who was into them from the start is probably incredibly cool uh, and has great taste. Uh, But it does feel like they were not trying to appeal to the masses on purpose. That they were saying, "Hey, you know, the door's open a crack if you want to come in," but they were not just not on every single house in America's doorstep and said, mm, yummy, just here's a spoon. It feels like they were intentionally trying to be interesting. Yeah. And then they had this undeniable pop sensibility as well. You can't hear Sweet Dreams and be like, that's not a catchy song. <laughs> like, right. Even if mm-hmm. you hate it, you can't say that it is not catchy. Right, yeah. But it doesn't feel like it was made by a factory of producers on a writing boot camp to generate hits. No. Well, you know what
3: happened with them a lot of times is that they, well, you know, they switched labels a couple of times and each time it was kind of like after Savage, because after Savage was just like really didn't sell in the state, other two of mm-hmm. my gay my fellow gay friends, you know. Yeah. So it's like then they had to come back with three tour. One, they went on this kind of acoustic tour, you know, where they were showing everybody that they really kind of had the bona fides to do that. And I think that was their response to promotion. I think they were on a new label. I think they were very invested in trying to sell records in America like they did in 83, if Mm -hmm. they could. But I think they made the decision about how to do it. So maybe instead of, I don't know, doing something corny or just whatever that people do to get promotion or doing a lot of interviews or something like that, they just went around and performed acoustically just to show people they wanted their talent to move people more so than any kind of flash and dash, even though the flash and dash is what got people to listen to them kind of in the first place. So
1: it's a really special thing. And a thing that the hall likes when you can make music that is a little weird and a little challenging and a little hip, but without any pandering, manage to break through to the masses. Yeah. You know, we see that happen and that just feels like such a pure and almost like magical thing. How does this group and looking at them and seeing the how deeply experimental they are and then they're huge and let's talk about the next category which is commercial success I mean they were extremely popular yeah, yeah. once we, we start with the sweet dreams album which went to number 15 and was gold and then touch was platinum and then be yourself tonight was platinum and then you know revenge went gold and then you know like we said savage didn't do as well but still doing all right and then the last two albums savage and we who are one from that period of the 80s still you know breaking or close to breaking the top 40 on the albums list they sold a lot of records i guess they is, did. Is and i think
3: and the uh, the important thing i think to realize about that too is that they sold a lot of records internationally because i think that's mm, sometimes yes. things that we can lose sight of in the mm-hmm. states for bands that are from overseas a lot of these are really like even bigger than they are here so just talking about their impact just sort of globally, you know, that's even bigger than just what they did here. So.
1: Right. Sadly, in terms of the Rock Hall. Yeah, I mean, yeah right, right. Right. <laughs> it's really. And, <laughs> they only care about what's going on in America, it yeah. seems, but a good point. You know, in Sweden, they were huge.
3: I guess what I've been, my point about, about that was just, I do think that rock acts, especially if you think about the modern rock, band from like the 70s and stuff like that and think about like touring and everything like that rock bands get around and everything like that so what i'm saying i guess what i was trying to say is that a band could be touring in a certain place where another band is really huge and they might be disproportionately influenced by that band because of where they are Than if they were just in the states listening to the radio where that band was known but wasn't really huge do you know what i mean okay. yeah i think so next category is longevity i would say
1: that when they first came out it was 81 but they didn't really start making a, a big impact until 83. And then, you know, they stopped putting out albums in 89. And even if there was a dip in terms of their commercial success towards the end of the 80s, they were still putting out albums that people loved it's about a period of six or seven years they dominated in the 80s you know it's funny i think the solo career of annie lennox even though it was separate to me feels like it extended the life of the eurythmics and in, in their catalog i
3: definitely agree because i mean her voice is just unmistakable so yeah like when you first heard let's say why on the radio <laughs> voice you don't necessarily aren't gonna think that it's solo you're gonna just mm-hmm. think of your are or whatever yeah. Uh, so yeah no I totally agree that that definitely even though you know for the solo thing doesn't work for a lot of lead si- singers that really you would think it would work for she was really ma- able to make it work for her
0: yeah she has a great solo career and I feel like that will if when they get it inducted I think it will be acknowledged They do it oftentimes the reverse way where it's like, I'm sure if when Lionel Richie gets in, they will talk about the Commodores. Usually it's like an artist will get in solo, but they had been with a band. Uh, And I like the Stevie Nicks of it all Uh too. Whereas I think with this one, it's like, if when Eurythmics, they'll also be like, and then Annie went on to blah, like, you know, they'll be 15, 20 seconds in the package when they're like, and Annie went on to just absolutely make a lot of people Cry uh, mm-hmm. and also okay. launch John Malkovich into the stratosphere in the walking on broken glass studio. But, like, right.
1: And they will do that with Dave Stewart as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, his work yeah. extends beyond the eurythmics with his uh, songwriting and producing for so many artists. And so I think that only helps their chances of getting in because it's impossible to, like, make someone compartmentalize this stuff and be like, oh, it's just the eurythmics. Yeah. Like, you're looking at Annie and Dave. Dave, and you're thinking about their careers as a
3: whole. And Dave has become such a like, I mean, he is if he's not still at one point, like in the 90s and the, the, the 00s, like he was that person that just if you wanted to take a superstar act and just make a serviceable album, and just know everything's going to sound right and whatever, just put him with Dave Stewart, you know, the, everything. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a finished product. You know, you're not going to get some crazy thing. I actually worked on a couple of people that he worked with and I was just curious if you knew I'm sure you do, which ones these people are already in the rock and roll hall of fame because i thought that that would definitely be a- yeah he's worked with stevie nicks so mm-hmm. she's in mm-hmm. two times R- yeah ringo star two times as also
0: all. another two-timer
3: brian Ferry, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. roxy, okay. music, roxy music
3: bon jovi yep
0: yep 2018 mick jagger
3: of course yep. with the famously m- uh
0: i don't know let me check <laughs> <laughs> tom petty
3: yeah he's produced all of those people so i yeah. totally agree with what you're saying people can't take that away and just go knowing that you know the rock hall has like industry people involved in the voting and there's a wide range of people i think dave stewart probably has a lot of goodwill among a lot of people that are involved with Mm -hmm. the rock hall
1: yeah and we, we can't underestimate what that will do when it comes time to vote yeah um but let's finish out these categories we've got influence as the next one you know when you hear an electronic act paired with a soulful voice. It's hard not to think of the Eurythmics.
3: Basically, yeah.
1: And not to say that they were the only people doing that, but, you know, in terms of popularity and the impact of their decision to do that. And so, yeah, I guess I think of, you know, it's not necessarily as soulful, but I, and this name comes up a lot, especially because this is a person who is very active with the Rock Hall and Ceremonies. Someone like St. Vincent, you can hear the Eurythmics
2: oh,
0: uh, yeah.
1: connection. yeah
0: you And also with tone, the tone of her music is very, it's dark and sexy which feels very Eurythmics and a little bit out there. And she is certainly trying to do something interesting at all times, you know? Mm-hmm. And the
1: imagery too, you yeah, yeah, yes. yes, Right, yeah, like yeah. you see she is adopting new personas in mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. wigs and costumes that she And this will... whole
3: disco thing she's doing now, you know, with the disco background singers and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's completely like Eurythmics. You know, we used to have artists that had like great images, but maybe they weren't that talented musically, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they were still popular because that, I think Eurythmics definitely created a... um expectation that you could be very visual and also very musical and that Mm -hmm. was not something that was taken for granted in the early days of of MTV it was Mm -hmm. kind of seen as like these people are just one hit wonders fly by night but Eurythmics really almost more than any other act of of the synth pop act of their generation were able to move that into traditional musical artistic respectability and that I think is pretty amazing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when I think of influence I see things like in the 90s like Mm Portishead garbage. And then nowadays, I mean, there's so much... R&B that is based upon like really bizarre scents and stuff like that um, with people like Khalila and you know even some even like SZA and stuff like that but just singing mm-hmm. softly over these kind I, I think that's all the influence because everybody has heard Sweet Dreams and like you said it, the formula is the, it's almost like a recipe it's like a simple to make you know <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah right
3: right add some soul both solo vocals you know add mm-hmm. some sense mm-hmm. and then mix it up and oh my god, what a it, it becomes
4: <laughs> you know so Yeah, I
1: mean, right. And I think of that formula and speaking of House of Gucci, I think of Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. I
4: want your drama with your for you sure.
1: Know, soulful voice, synth background on a lot of her big hits. Imagery, and also imagery
0: changing of the image.
1: I think it was at the VMA's where she was joe calderoni or something yeah, and she was that like thing. yeah but right. it, it, it very much and i think people brought this up at the time it felt very much like annie lennox dressing Elvis. up in like, the bouffant as as Elvis. Yeah. you yeah,
3: know definitely. Years, years, definitely years before a- even the thing about the going from more dancey synthy stuff to going more traditional rock she's she's kind of followed in that whole thing do you think that lady gaga is as musically respected across the board as annie lennox And I don't have an answer. I'm just kind of curious.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, probably not as much, but that there might just be some seniority yeah, uh, I think they're... it's
0: seniority and I think it's also kind of genre bias too. I think okay. pop music from today it's got less credibility, quote unquote, you know, with like mm-hmm. uh purists and critics, and also because Lady Gaga, she is a pop institution, the Eurythmics, yeah. they don't suffer from too much success in that way. It's a it, really it, great which point is a rude great way to point. say it, but yeah, like your like, sure. are not gonna headline the Super Bowl, yeah, and gaga. Shopping
3: it. if you're shopping for like avocados or something mm-hmm. and you hear here comes the rain <laughs> exactly. and it makes your whole
0: day you know well, oh, honestly huh? it would make my my day again if i'm in the produce section and then the little misters come on and here comes the rain again is playing tell you what <laughs>
3: oh the myths yeah oh the, when the little misters that, come
0: yeah. on my, my grocery store used to play singing in the rain like there was like a little um, music cue that happened like when there the was misters would come
1: playlist come on on
0: the um thing it was just a very brief thing when the when the misters came on in the in the produce section
1: for a second i thought there was a group i didn't know about called the little misters (laughs) i I I,
3: I did i totally did too i totally did too no, no, I, that?
0: I, what did they say? Well, they toured with uh, Lyman and the Teenagers. What Frankie, Lyman and the, Frankie teenagers. Lyman and the Teenagers. Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers. Original
1: name: Frankie Lyman and the Little Misters.
0: The Little Misters. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> I
0: think I think
3: you all have a duo now. Yeah. That's called <laughs> the Little Misters, and that's yeah. what Just we're what called. It
0: is. We're called the Little Misters. We do sweet dreams at karaoke. That's okay. our that's our Perfect. whole thing.
1: And you're in full Elvis drag. Uh huh.
0: For sure. I
3: want the single and the video and the remixes. is
0: freaking <laughs> yeah,
1: it on. It's happening. It's <laughs> no happening. No problem. Um, the next category is artistry slash skill. I think we've kind of touched on this. The sheer power of Annie Lennox's voice, and then the songwriting skills, really of both of them, because they, you know, they collaborated as songwriters, and you know Dave Stewart's production. Like, I think the combination of those things is what made it so special. The skill is so. Up front, you don't have to like argue with anybody like, you know, I think Annie Lennox is actually, she's a pretty good singer. (laughs) Duh, like, you know.
3: Yeah, I think it's that training aspect. What you talk about is like the musical ability that they just started with because they both um, had some sort of, you know, musical training and everything like that Mm -hmm. is what actually separated them from the synth pop people because synth pop really came out was an extension of punk, an extension of that attitude of, oh, just let's just bang on this, Ice tea bottle and like <laughs> sing about the queen and make a you know what I mean and but it was just that whole do-it-yourself aesthetic
0: and that you don't need to have training and anyone can no, play an instrument yeah. you can and- get the
3: synthesizer and everything like that so that's exactly what synth pop was just like punk with synthesizers but so many of the new wave bands couldn't really continue on to have a long longevity because they didn't really have a lot of musical talent to be able to do that Mm -hmm. Eurythmics, they were able to continue on where I think a lot of the do-it-yourself people sort of- Clock
0: Seagulls is absolutely shaking right now. (laughs) They cannot believe it.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, they're
1: so obviously skillful and and the artistry is on display without any doubt. And here we are at the last category, maybe the most important category, does my mom know who they are? And she absolutely does.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't even have to text my mom. I know yeah, that I she either. knows.
1: They were ubiquitous, a name you still know. And especially if you're around in the 80s, like it's a given. So that's good. So, I mean, it's time for the verdict. Yeah. Time to say, should they get in the Rock Roll Hall of Fame? Will they? And do you think it'll be this year? And we'll start with Kristen.
0: Should they? Yes. Will they? Yes. Will it be this year? Probably not comma, unfortunately, period. Uh, I think that it's just too stacked of a field. They are an act that I am excited to see on the ballot. And I love what it means about where we are with who's getting nominated. I think it really bodes well for 80s music that I like having a chance and getting in and their time coming. But I think the field is quite packed. The Dave Stewart connection and the belief lovedness of Annie you know they could be a seventh slot a sixth or seventh slot, like it's not, it's not out of the question that they would get in this year, but I see them getting kind of the middle votes, mm-hmm. and so that is why it pains me to say it. They were one of the people I was most excited to see on the ballot this year, just because uh, you know so many of the names were old uh, <laughs> and repeats from last yes, year,
1: and names that we had seen very recently,
0: and so that was like thrilling in its own little way. I imagine that it will not be more than five years before they get in. I'm hopeful at least. The problem too though, is the, now I'm talking myself in circles, but like Uh the problem is like kind of the new wave art rock crossover field. There's just so many people that still have to get in. Devo Mm. is still not in. The B-52s have still never been nominated. They all kind of have the same need to get in. And none of them is like the one where it's like, great, Boom. We, you know, it's like, we got the cure in. So, you know, I, I I just don't know what it's going to take when the waterfall of new wave and art rock music from the eighties is going to just happen when we're Mm going to have not just one possible in a year, but we're going to, I mean, you know, the cure and Roxy music getting in at the same time. Was a good omen as well. So I don't know. I'm hopeful that they're in within the next five years. It'd be awesome if it was this year. That would be great. Also, just because women as well. Yeah. But I don't think that it is going to be this year.
1: Okay. Good analysis, Kristen.
0: Can you believe it? Is Grace Jones, has she ever been nominated? She's never is been not nominated. She's never been nominated. Yeah. Another one of those.
3: Again, you know. I was just thinking that when you were talking about that category, I was thinking, well, she would fit in that category. So that's why mm-hmm. I was just wondering. So.
1: Yes. Yeah. Craig, what is your verdict? Should they, will they, will it be? this year?
3: Ah, should they? Yes. Will they? Yes. And will it be this year? I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to even, this will be like- Craig. We love to see it. Because I think they will also put on a great show. Like they will really put on Mm -hmm. a great show. So, you know, yeah.
1: Okay. I like it. I also believe they should. That nexus of artistry and experimentation with extreme popularity and commercial success, that like achievement, that's like what to me, the perfect Rock Hall inductee has. Yeah, they should... Will they? I do think they will. Will it be this year? I wouldn't count them out. Very similar to what Kristen was saying. I think they are in the conversation and I think it could happen. It's just when you look at all these artists and where they could fall, you know, on a less competitive ballot, for sure. And I think the connections that Dave and and Annie have and the respect that they have, even with people they don't know, but they know a lot of people, I think it's going to help them. Like, I think they'll be in the top 10, but as we know, it's probably not going to be more than six. Uh, on this bout that are going to get in. And I think they're jockeying for that sixth slot. And I do think Duran Duran is in their lane if we're looking at this ballot that they're competing with, same era. Mm-hmm. I'm probably thinking it's going to go to Duran Duran because they haven't been on a ballot before and that they continued and they still put out music and they had a longer run.
3: And Niall Rodgers is in, and he's considered like an unofficial member of the group of Duran. Yeah, members, true. So.
1: And so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to say... Probably not, but if it happened we we can't call it a surprise.
3: I can't underestimate the industry connections that they have and I don't know what the the um, sort of breakdown is among voters like how many people are industry how many people are, are this but Jimmy Iveen produced I believe we two are one yes he and did. Jimmy Iveen's like the most powerful person in the mm-hmm. music industry now sure. you know what I mean if Jimmy Iveen called you up and told you, I don't care who you vote for, but you need to vote for Dave Stewart and Eurythmics. You're probably going to do it. That kind of strong arming does happen at record labels and stuff like with Grammy voting and everything like that. The other thing is for their last album, Peace, they were signed to Arista by Clive Davis. Mm -hmm. Again, another super force within Mm -hmm. the industry. And Clive Davis also was responsible for Annie's solo career.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. You think of these huge industry figures are really behind the people in this band. Mm -hmm. I think that might move things in an unexpected way. Interesting to see how it'll play out.
0: I've been thinking that the bubble slot in my dreams is going to go to Pat Benatar. And I think that my girl is, I just, I'm not. Maybe doesn't have
1: the support. And love, sadly, uh, you know, unfairly that the rhythmics seem to have. So, Mm -hmm. but let's say they are getting in. There's so much
0: more. I forgot what these episodes are like. Oh my God. So (laughs) let's
1: say, let's say the Eurythmics are getting in. Who do we think? Inducts them. Now we we've rattled off some names of people that have connections to, to Dave and Annie. Uh you know, Mick Jagger wrote the foreword for Dave Stewart's autobiography. So there's a guy who who loves him. You know, Elton John is someone who has connections to both of them. Dave Stewart, when he was like a, a boy, like when he was in his teens, he was in a band called Long Dancer, and they were signed to Elton John's Rocket Records label way back in the 70s. So he goes back with Elton, and I know Elton loves annie yeah and has spoken very highly of her i believe he was there when annie was getting some designation from the queen so that's interesting
3: is it always another um is it always another magician
0: yes (laughs) there's a lot of smoke there's a trap door it's pretty interesting
1: (laughs) so uh, so it isn't always a musician often it is but like this last year we saw a number of Actors like we saw Drew Barrymore induct the Gogo's, we saw Angela Bassett induct Tina Turner, we saw Dave Chappelle induct Jay-Z. So they do extend beyond okay. the music world, but it is but usually, it's celebrity. Yeah. yeah okay. You it's want a name, big you want a big name. Big yeah. name. You know, I don't think like Bob Dylan is going to show up, but I do know he and Dave are friends and like the traveling Wilburys, like yeah. did a lot of stuff in Dave Stewart's backyard. Do
0: we think Mick Jagger, or Elton John are big enough names? <laughs> well, I guess Great that's- question. Yeah, Do they have the poll Yeah, that's my question. And so oh. that's
1: the, the, the names that I put out there are, you know, they're the iconic classic artists who've already been inducted, but then you can also... You can look forward to the people that they influence, like, say, a Lady Gaga or a St. Vincent. We know St. Vincent is... That'd be great. They've got her number. She was there for their Nirvana tribute. She was involved in Nine Inch Nails induction. They asked Dave Stewart, and he said Billy Eilish.
2: Oh. She's interesting,
3: I That's imagine. And, and she's definitely, mm-hmm. she is definitely a, um, in the tradition of like an Annie Lennox. I, I wish the music, I could just add some beats, but mm-hmm. <laughs> to <just laughs> some of those five minute ballads. But like, um, yeah, no, definitely I could see that.
1: And you know, the way that the Eurythmics made music often, it was fully by themselves with just in, like a, in a chateau somewhere. Yeah, like the yeah. two of them working on it without any interference from any outside forces. And like you said, it's, it's the Billie Eilish way of doing things now very similar. And you know, a name that stuck out to me, Dave Stewart co-wrote the song Underneath It All by No Doubt. And I know Gwen Stefani Mm, is like mm, the perfect industry darling that like, Mm -hmm. I want
3: that. I want that.
1: (laughs) She inducted the police and she would show up and, you know, wrote a song with Dave Stewart. And I I got to imagine has love for the Eurythmics. So that's uh, another I choose that option.
0: I like that. I want Gaga. I want there to be like, I want the Taylor Swift treatment for mm.
1: them. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, like one of the biggest names. I want now. big
0: name for them. You yeah. know, I, I think Gwen funny would show up and do a nice job, but I'm just like, man, if they could get just a giant name, right. I think it would look good for them. It would be like, CM, that's why they're in baby, you know?
3: Yeah. What would really be left field is to have somebody like, can you imagine Stevie Wonder inducted them? Like has he oh ever my inducted gosh. anybody? Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
1: for sure. He inducted Bill Withers. He inducted okay. Little Willie John or like elvis
3: costello would he be good to end up potentially
1: it'd be it'd be cool
0: but i don't know that that has that's that's
3: that's not in your huge category i get
1: it yeah no i
0: mean and i love elvis costello but yeah Mm
1: -hmm. and then i think the rhythmics would play i think so too what songs would they play usually it's three could be longer in my head here's here's my perfect set you open with the very rock forward missionary man which hits you kind of upfront the set has begun it doesn't take its time to get going it's full force at the beginning then you do what I lie to you and then you have whatever the set is you have to end with sweet dreams I say you end on sweet dreams and that's the big finale
0: I reverse it interesting I actually don't reverse it I do a different I do those three songs but (laughs) in a different order completely I begin stage is dark (laughs) there's a you know there's like a strobe light and we're hearing the synth of Sweet Dreams, right? Everybody, Mm -hmm. the crowd is electric we cannot believe this. This is the song we came to hear. We are so excited about it, right? And that song has a great build all the way up so then we're just like ramped up we're so hyped okay great we're in that we kind of do the middling song we do missionary man a song that I think is good but also kind of it feels mid tempo it's a steady tempo
2: mm-hmm. and
0: then you end with what I lie to you which is one of the most kind of ebullient songs that they have and so by then the horns have joined them you know it's like we're, we're going from small to big with uh, regard yeah. to spectacle and okay. number of people on stage and then everybody's partying it's a then um then it becomes like a scotch okay get
1: out of here you're done All right, that's, My- that's, what
3: Greg, Craig, what do you think? What's the perfect set? But if we were producers of this show, we would all be arguing over this. This would be something we really would have to do. And mm-hmm. mine are completely mm-hmm. different. I'm opening with Sweet Dreams because everybody, you just want to hear it. You just want to get it out of the mm-hmm. way. And then you go right into what I Lie to you, like rip off a curtain, all the band comes out, horns. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. People are dancing everywhere and then you shut everything down since we're bringing in lighting cues Dave <laughs> goes back
2: you know, thank you
3: spotlight audience someone with a vision on a chair with Dave and his guitar and Annie standing there in some wonderful something or other and then they sing the ballad The Miracle of Love from Revenge
2: the Miracle of Love We'll
3: take away And it's just a nice come together moment, even though it's not like a big hit or anything like that. It's just such a doing it acoustic where you're really going to pay attention to what she's saying. And it's just being a message of love and unity. I think that that would just be a good way. You can say whatever now, but before you make your final decision, please listen to the version of Miracle of Love from the live album. I will, but I will
0: also say the three words which are cut for broadcast. Um, (laughs) That is not
2: making it on HBO special.
0: I hear you. I'm like they should play it. It would be beautiful, but that's not making it in.
2: (laughs) They have they
0: only have three and a half hours uh, worth of programming. allotted.
1: Well, I mean, speaking of the live version of Miracle of Love, I should note that you put together a Eurythmics playlist that that people can listen to on Spotify, which I'm going to listen
0: to it literally as soon as this episode ends. Uh,
1: a lot of great live versions that you've picked and stuff from Touch Dance. It's got hits on it, but you know it goes deeper. So if, if you're, uh, this is perfect. So our listeners want to go deep on the rhythmics and some tracks maybe you haven't heard before, we will for sure tweet that out so people can get on it. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for doing the show, Craig.
3: Thank you for having me back. This was so much fun. I loved it. Great. And I, yes. I, feel rese- I feel like this was a better conversation. I was more <laughs>
0: prepared. I was more prepared. Sure, Craig, but do, don't take you're anything an away. And we love to have <laughs> that's, you. That's that's
1: two A plus episodes in yeah. a thank row you. for you. So
3: thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: I, and I want to give you the opportunity to plug whatever you want. Social media. I know the the books you have out. Anything you'd like people to see or whatever. Uh...
3: I mean, yeah, if folks care, you know, like I'm on on Twitter and like at Craig Pop Life.
1: And and your Twitter is great because you do for your writing a decent amount of research and you will share the stuff that you stumble upon, which I think is great. You know, screenshots from old magazines and and articles and pictures and it's a great follow, Craig's Pop Life. I Thank must
3: say. you for saying that because you obviously get that I'm just researching stuff and then occasionally I come across something interesting and I just share it. Mm-hmm. Some people think I'm actually like curating <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> but it doesn't even make sense like right. you know? so i'm glad I, I was hoping people saw it like that like yeah but yeah but some people are like anyway um so <laughs> yeah there's that and then of course and i'm also on substack i have a substack newsletter that you can subscribe to and find out about new things but the next thing that's coming from me is a book on janet jackson that will actually deal with her life and art history unlike the documentary that just came out recently
1: <laughs> okay uh, a different a different focus. A different <laughs>
3: i'm but interested that, that, that's the next book
1: okay awesome that's great and of course the labelle 33 and a third is forthcoming yes date tbd all right well our listeners know they can follow us at rock pod on twitter and instagram rockallpod.gmail.com is the email if you want kristen to see your message you need to designate that somewhere in there otherwise she doesn't want to read it and i'm not going to forward it subscribe to us on <laughs> apple podcasts Rate and review us five stars only. We beg of you, nothing less than five. Even if you think that's the honest truth is that we're lower, give us five and it, it helps us to survive. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music and thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala.
0: I'm Kristen Studdard.
1: And who cares?
0: About the rock hall. <laughs> Why did I sing it? Why? It
4: did. You did. And Why that's- did they- it?